0: Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's patreo dot com notseenradio. Thank you. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. On today's show, we explore the Christian responsibility to educate the indigent and the immigrant. We talk with Father Katsouros, Dean of Arupe College at Loyola University here in Chicago. We discuss the ways in which the Jesuits are reinventing education again. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Father Stephen Kitsuros. He's a Jesuit priest and is the Dean and Executive Director of the Arupe College of Loyola University Chicago. He's also the author of a new book, Come to Believe, How the Jesuits Are Reinventing Education Again. Father Kitsuros was previously president of Loyola School in New York City and an administrator at the University of San Francisco. Father Stephen Kitsuros, welcome to Things Not Seen.
1: Well, thanks very much. It's great to be on the
0: program. Well, to start things off, the subtitle of your book is How the Jesuits are Reinventing Education Again. So let me ask, just as a preliminary question, how did they reinvent education the first time? And when we talk about Jesuit education, what are some of the specific aspects of that?
1: When I talk about Arupe College, I like to talk about it in the context of over the last 45 or 50 years. In the early 1970s, uh, mostly lay people and a handful of Jesuits began an alternative to the public middle schools in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. This was the first nativity school, and it makes private Catholic education available to young people that otherwise may not experience it. So that was the first one, and that opened in the early 1970s. There were 50 of those now around the United States. So we go from middle school, and then to 1996, the first Cristo Rey High School opened. So that was again a collaboration between mostly lay people and some Jesuits, making a Jesuit high school experience available here in Chicago in the neighborhood of Pilsen, primarily a Mexican population, young women and young men who would never otherwise experienced a Jesuit secondary ed experience. So. You can see where this is going. We go middle schools in the 70s, high schools in the 90s, and now it's time for higher ed.
0: And Loyola University of Chicago initiated this program a couple of years ago. So then we're sitting in your office here at Arupe College. So tell me about Arupe College. Tell me about its mission and why it was specifically founded.
1: You know, I think all of us in higher education are wringing our hands about who gets left behind in our colleges and universities particularly the Jesuit schools, we talk a lot about social justice and being inclusive, but it's hard to be inclusive when so many folks cannot afford our tuitions. And this is not just a Jesuit thing, this is a a national discussion. We've just priced ourselves out of the markets of so many in uh, both private and public education. So a few years ago, the then president of Loyola University, Father Mike Garanzini, was talking to a number of uh, leaders here in Chicago, of public schools, charter schools, Catholic high schools, saying, all right, so what if we made a Jesuit college experience available, at least for two years, and we made it available for the students who weren't the four O's and didn't have ACTs of 30 or 31 or 32, but kids who need a little more support. And what if we made it available to students who qualify for federal and state aid, and we kept the cost down, and they were all commuters, so they weren't paying for room and board, would there be a market for this? And, of course, that inquiry was met with a resounding, are you kidding? Of course. So Mike recruited me, uh, and I arrived in
0: 2014, and in 2015, we enrolled our first class here. So you've, you've mentioned a couple times this notion of Jesuit education in the, in the Nativity schools, in the Cristo Rey schools, and now at Arupi College. What are some of the hallmarks of Jesuit education specifically? And maybe we should even take a step back, and, and for some listeners who might not know, who are the Jesuits? So after every Jesuit's last name you see an SJ, standing
1: for Society of Jesus. The uh, Jesuits were founded by St. Ignatius Loyola, for whom Loyola University and so many other institutions have been named. He was a 15th and 16th century first soldier and uh, courtier, and then he had a conversion experience, became a mystic and an administrator. And he Developed a method of praying based on a handbook of prayer devised by him called the Spiritual Exercises that really helps people, and has been helping people for centuries now, find God in all things. That, you know, God is alive and present in the here and now. This is not a future thing that we can look forward to after uh, our deaths, but that God is present and accompanies us. In the everyday and the ordinary, Ignatius was very committed to education. He, was, he felt he was poorly educated, and so he went to the best uh, university at the time, which was the University of Paris, and was really grounded in the liberal arts. While there, he was very charismatic, and he attracted uh, other students, one named Francis Xavier, as well as others. And they formed a band called the Company of Jesus or the Society of Jesus, And uh, they became a religious order, like the Franciscans or the Dominicans. But what happened with Ignatius is he began to run these seminaries for young men who were interested in becoming Jesuits. For families whose children did not want to become Jesuits, they really were interested in the kind of education that the seminarians were receiving, again, Steeped in the liberal arts, the experience that Ignatius had at the University of Paris. At first, you know, Ignatius heard the encouragement, the request to start colleges, and he hated that idea. He did not want the judges to be bogged down with any particular institution. He wanted judges to always be on the go, to be available to wherever they were needed. I'm glad that Ignatius changed his mind about, you know, not starting schools. Otherwise, I would be unemployed right now. Um, He opened the first school in Messina in Sicily in the late 1540s, and they took off. Again, rooted in the liberal arts. And that's what Arupe College is. Our students are doing a liberal arts education that has its basis in the genius of Ignatius and his legacy. Our students take philosophy and theology, for example, which they love. That is very much what we've inherited from, from the Society of Jesus. Uh, they're doing the same curriculum as their counterparts are at Loyola University and Marquette and at Fordham and at Santa Clara and at St. Louis University and at the other Jesuit schools around the country and around the world. In addition... We Jesuits talk a lot about cura personalis. So that's Latin, and that translates roughly to care for the whole person. So we really get to know our students, yes, academically. You know, how are they doing in philosophy and theology and statistics and poli-sci and computer science. But also, who are they? You know, what's their backgrounds? What do they bring to the classroom? What's their narrative? What are their interests? What are their aspirations? And that's very much true here at Urupe College. We see our students as pioneering this new movement with us. And we've learned so much from them, from their wisdom, from their generosity, and from
0: their experiences of how to deliver higher education more effectively. You mentioned the spiritual exercises. Now, Is that something that is available to the average layperson, or is that something only for priests?
1: No, it's certainly so many women and men, um, religious and lay, have benefited from the spiritual exercises, whether it's a weekend retreat at a Jesuit retreat house, or seeing what we call a spiritual director or an advisor periodically to talk about, well, where is God in my life? What's God inviting me to do? Am I making good decisions? I keep falling into patterns that are not life-giving for me. Yeah, uh, you know, so so many, uh, including Arupe students, but students in Jesuit high schools, colleges, and universities make retreats. And for many of our students in these settings... The retreats are the most memorable experiences of their time of enrollment in our institutions. So this is not just a Jesuit thing or a thing for priests, but that's the genius of Ignatius. That, Again, by saying that we find God in all things, in all situations, in the workplace, in our families, in neighborhoods, on the subway, in relationships, in our struggles...
0: Just generally, what has been the impact on these students that you've observed of having them come into this kind of environment?
1: You know, all of our students begin their experience at Arupe with a retreat experience. Loyal University operates a terrific retreat and ecology campus about 50 miles west of Chicago. We're not a residential program, but at least up front, they do have this residential experience. They have the opportunity to build community. And one of the first things we do with them is a version of what St. Ignatius Loyola calls the examination of conscience. So we ask the students to quiet down and to relax and do some breathing exercises and then think about the day. You know, and on this particular day, we've transported them to this retreat and ecology center. Who did they talk to? How were they feeling? Were they uncomfortable? Were they anxious? Were they exhilarated? Were they future-oriented? Were they concerned about what they were leaving behind? You know, our students talk about that they find that very relaxing, but also provocative. So um, a couple of years ago, when we did our first retreat, uh, we have a board here at Bay College, and so I asked the students who made the retreat to come in and talk about their retreat experience. So one of our students, who's not Catholic, talked about doing the examination of conscience and how she was learning to integrate that, not just during a retreat experience for a couple of days away, 50 miles west from here, but day to day.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Father Stephen Katsuros, Dean and Executive Director of the Arupe College of Loyola University, Chicago. He's also the author of the new book, Come to Believe, How the Jesuits Are Reinventing Education Again. We'll be back in a moment. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you might have figured out that I'm a bit of an odd mix. I'm lefty and progressive in my politics, and I'm conservative and traditional in my theology. I'm a full gospel, Acts 4 and 5 kind of guy. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a new degree program being offered by my friends at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. It's their new Master of Arts in Public Ministry. Hey, I'm in touch with listeners, and I know a lot of you are serving your communities in nonprofits and civic organizations. Some of you are even on the front lines as activists and organizers. You're trying to make the world a better place. The folks at Garrett want to make this world a better place, too, and they know the gospel of Jesus Christ is central to that effort. If you've been wanting to integrate your faith with your work, you'll want to check out their new Master of Arts in Public Ministry. The entire city of Chicago will be your classroom. You'll graduate with a stronger network and a better understanding of how Jesus Christ is speaking to the world of today. Get excited about this. This could be your next step. Go to garrett.edu slash MAPM, the initials of Master of Arts in Public Ministry. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T slash M-A-P-M. Tell Katie and Jill I sent you. They're good people, and they'll be glad to tell you more about the new Master of Arts in Public Ministry from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. Once again, that's g-a-r-r-e-t-t dot e-d-u slash m-a-p-m. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Father Stephen Katsuros. He's dean and executive director of the Arupe College at Loyola University, Chicago. He's also author of the new book, Come to Believe, How the Jesuits are Reinventing Education Again. So, part of the stated goal of the Arupe College is to make higher education achievable, accessible, and affordable. How is Arupe doing that specifically?
1: Let's talk about the affordable because so many people are intrigued with our financial model. The cost per student at Arupe College is $18,000. All right, now remember, they don't live on campus, they're all commuters. All of our students, unless they're undocumented, all of our students qualify for federal and state aid. That shaves $10,000 off of that $18,000 right away. We ask our students to contribute between $700 and $1,300 a year. And then we fundraise the rest. You know, you can't go to Catholic elementary school on $1,300 a year. This and Pope Francis are the two best Catholic stories you know, of the year. That's the affordable piece. And then, you know, some of our students can't afford the 700 or the 1,000 or the 1,300. We have students who are homeless here. So we find scholarships and donors to support them. I should mention the undocumented students. So they are ineligible for Pell Grants and for what's known in Illinois as the MAP Grant. That's the Monetary Assistance Program. That's the state aid. And so we're a partner institution with the Dream.us Founded by Don Graham of the Washington Post family. And so they uh, provide scholarships to offset what the students are not receiving from the feds and the state. A lot of people are very sympathetic to undocumented students, and so they've s- supported our undocumented students. Also, we have foundation support for the undocumented students. Just a plug for the undocumented students 37% of our deans list with uh, GPAs of 3.5 or higher are undocumented. All of the 4.0s in sophomore year, undocumented. So many of the leaders of our student government, undocumented. These are not bad hombres. Let's go on to the accessible part of our mantra here. Well, how do we make this accessible? First of all, we're in this incredible building at Loyola's Water Tower Campus, which is you know, near the Michigan Avenue and the best retail in the Midwest. So every bus in Illinois, uh, arrives here. We're also near one of the major subway, or L, hubs of Chicago. So that's one way that we make this accessible. But I think the other thing that is less concrete, but um, more important is that, besides the financial supports, you know, so all of our faculty members are advisors. They are heroic in their commitment to our students. They're here morning, noon, and night. Our staff are equally heroic in their commitment in, in terms of their accessibility. We provide a lot of wraparound supports that make this education achievable and accessible. So we're now I'm merging those two together, achievable and accessible. You know, all of our students do a week and a half orientation, including the overnight retreat experience. We fundraise for that. Every student receives a laptop computer. So it's not one of these situations where you're doing your homework on a desktop and she's doing hers on a tablet, and I'm doing mine on my smartphone, and someone else is forget it. You know, we all including the faculty members, we're all using the same kinds of machines. Those are our gifts to our students, and when they graduate, those go with them. We provide breakfast and lunch for all of our students. And We do that for a couple of reasons. One is, so my father was in the restaurant business, and so I'm very sensitive to people eating here. But also, it's a way of building community, particularly important for commuter students. But also, all of our students come to us, they had qualified for free or reduced-rate breakfasts and lunches in their high schools. Well, that need doesn't go away because you're in college. And for some of our students, They really count on these meals. They really rely on them. And it's an incentive to come to uh, to classes. Uh, So we fundraise for that. All of our students have the option of visiting four-year colleges and universities. They go on college tours. So you know, we rent vans, and they'll look at schools that are just at St. Louis University and Illinois College. They'll go to look at schools in Indiana or up in Wisconsin or maybe in Michigan. And that gives them a sense, all right, do do they want to continue on at a four-year school? Do they want to stay in Chicagoland? Well, great, and they do day trips looking at schools around here, and they certainly know Loyola University. But do they want to get away, and do they want to stay with the Jesuits, or do they want to stay in a small environment or a large state school? Do they want to be in a city, or are they sick of the city? Do they want to go someplace a little bit more rural or suburban? This makes them savvier consumers as they become future, more future-oriented and consider what their options might be. So, I mean, there's a college panel going on right now, some representatives of, of local schools, and the room is packed with our students. So we think that all of these supports really do make this first post-secondary educational experience much more achievable,
0: affordable, accessible for these students. As you've been talking about your students, you've talked about a focus on homeless students, a focus on the undocumented. You've also mentioned that a good number of the students that are here at the Arupe College qualified for free and reduced lunches at some point in their educational. I'm getting a pretty clear idea of the kind of students that you're going after, but I wonder if you could say it in one or two sentences. What is the sort of goal student of the Arupe College or the ideal student that you are looking to fill the classrooms with?
1: We're looking for first generation students who are resilient, who are persistent, who know that they want to go on to higher ed. They don't have, for lots of different reasons, the financial support to pull that off, you know, right out of high school. You know, the research shows that if you take time off from high school to work for a while, it's harder to get your groove back on in terms of you know, resuming because you're accustomed to paying bills and, you know, that that kind of a thing. But of course, we know that even though maybe a minimum wage job right out of high school looks pretty good when you're 17 or 18, when you're 20 or 25 or 27, you're looking for a different income level. And we know that credential from college, university is the pathway to um, higher salaries and better professional stability.
0: Are these students ones who you would say would benefit especially from this kind of added support, or would you advocate for this kind of added support and this kind of community building for all college students?
1: Of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, our students are not unique in, in terms of these needs or rising to, you know, uh, the high expectations that we have for them and exceeding them. They're counterparts in higher education for, again, lots of different reasons. They have their own computers. They can afford to pay for the orientation. They've gone on college tours, so they've looked at, they've shopped for schools. We just want to make these
0: opportunities available for the students who enroll here at Arupe. And you've mentioned that you learned a lot from the students. Could you tell me some of the things that you and the staff and your colleagues have learned from these students as you've been working with them for the past two and three years?
1: Well, certainly we've learned a lot about resilience. If you are willing to accompany someone for the long haul, then it's a mutually beneficial relationship, that there's a lot of wisdom there. You know, I use this image from Luke's Gospel of Martha and Mary. So I can relate to Martha. You know, she's the worker, and she gets things done. And she gets impatient with her sister Mary, who's sitting at Jesus' feet. And we know the story. Jesus says that Mary has chosen the better portion. Well, she has. It's not about doing for, and that's kind of where Martha seems parked. It's about being with, and that's what Mary models. Not doing for, but being with. So by being with our students, we're learning, huh, statistics is kind of a a good way of going in terms of requiring, uh, having a math requirement rather than an algebraically based math. Our original design for classes were two classes for eight weeks, sort of a block schedule. That was a bad idea, and our students shared that with us up front, particularly for math classes. You know, to try to compress so much in eight weeks, and students coming from high school, all of a sudden they're taking two classes, for three-hour blocks, they're unaccustomed to doing that. Plus, it's a bad preparation for a four-year institution where they'll probably be taking four or five courses at a time. So to go from two classes, we dropped that. But that was something that we learned from our students. From undocumented students, we have learned so much about their struggles, the struggles of, you know, really great, hardworking people who are in a box, who are just so limited because of their immigration
0: status. I could go on and on. And you've just recently had your first class graduate. Am I correct about that? Yeah. How did that feel as the person who helped to get this off the ground and then to see that sort of come to fruition? How did that feel for you? Extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, I've been involved
1: in graduations for
0: decades.
1: You know, my whole life has been in education. I think this might have been my favorite uh, graduation. You know, it was very moving. It was at Loyola's Lakeshore Campus in the Mundelein Center, which is just beautiful, stately space. So it was a very elevating experience for all of us who attended. Cardinal supich the Archbishop of Chicago, gave the invocation. Cardinal Supich is very pro-Jesuit. I'm grateful for that. And so he talked a lot about Father Arupe and his invocation. Our president, Dr. Joanne Rooney, Cook County uh, President Tony Preckwinkle also gave stirring remarks. But our, our student speaker was extraordinary. Also, extraordinary was just the students walking across the stage, you know, receiving their diplomas. It was so meaningful. I mean, I just get, I still get emotional, you know, and I had the pleasure and privilege of. You know, congratulating all of them, and really, you know, Father, thank you. What an opportunity! I'm so grateful, Father. Father, thank you. It was just really so moving. So yeah, I'm you know, cavelling here, and it was it was a great, great graduation. Yeah.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Father Stephen Katsouros, Dean and Executive Director of the Arupe College of Loyola University, Chicago. He's author of the new book, Come to Believe, How the Jesuits are Reinventing Education Again. We'll be back in a moment. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. If you're just joining us, we're speaking today with Father Stephen Kitsuros, Dean and Executive Director of the Arupe College of Loyola University, Chicago. He's also author of the new book, Come to Believe, How the Jesuits are Reinventing Education Again. So while you were getting... The Arupe College off the ground and launching this new program with new students and heading towards your first graduation two years later, you also decided that this was the time to write a book. Well, I didn't decide that, but uh, continue. (laughs) And so, as as I understand the story, you were encouraged to write a book, and you initially said no, thank you, and then you later were persuaded that this might be a good idea. So. Who persuaded you, and how did they persuade you that writing a book during one of perhaps the busiest times of your professional life would be a good idea?
1: Yeah, So Jim Keene, a friend of mine, formerly at Orbis, now at America Magazine, the Jesuit Magazine, approached me you know, in August of 2015, the very month that the first classes were happening here at Arupe And he said, how about writing a book about you know, starting Arrupe College? And I said, but that's happening right now. And he said, well, great, you know, and so what do you think? And I said, you know, Jim, I'm thinking about when I'm going to brush my teeth again, much less writing a book. And so he recruited another Jim, a Jesuit who's a prolific author named Father Jim Martin. And so Jim and I, Jim Martin and I have been friends for going on 30 years. So he said, listen, you have to write this book. And I said, you know, are you out of your mind? And Jim said, no, 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 you've got to do this. What would you rather read? Uh, A book? Written by St. Ignatius the year that the Jesuits first started or a book written 100 years later by someone getting the story third or fourth or fifth hand. And I said, yeah, but Jim, you know, Ignatius wasn't getting 150 emails a day. And it's a little bit of a different scene here in 2015. One of our board members is Mark Shriver, and um, he's written books about Pope Francis and about his father, Sergeant Shriver. So I said, listen, I would recommend that you get a, um, a ghostwriter. But he said, you have a very distinctive way of telling a story. So I said, this is going to be a terrible experience for you, but you have to do this. And so I kind of hunkered down. And basically what I did was I would record these vignettes at ni- uh, drink, or nights you know, or on weekends. And my assistant would send them over to someone else to transcribe, he and his wife, and I got them back and tried to piece these together, and then Orbis, the publisher, you know, created this book out of this
0: this hot mess of vignettes, and and there you have it. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you would literally get done with a day, and perhaps it was a day that was full of both successes and frustrations. And then you would reflect basically a hot take. You mentioned a hot mess, but it's kind of a hot take, the first thing off of a reaction to the day that you just had, and that became part of the kernel of what became this book. Am I hearing that correctly? That, that's right.
1: Also, you know, I'm really blessed to preside and preach on weekends at a parish here in the Archdiocese of Chicago called Saints, Faith, Hope, and Charity. And the poor parishioners there, they hear about Bay College, pretty much with every homily. But look, again, that's how I pray. That's the finding God in all things. So I find God in our students and in their stories and in our successes and setbacks here. And so um, I'd come back from Mass and say, all right, that wasn't bad. Let's see if we can uh, use this for the book. And so a a number of the, the chapters at least have their roots from some of those homilies.
0: So this is kind of an unorthodox writing style. And I wonder, now that you've created a book in this fashion, do you think that there are going to be more books that you'll be writing? Or, and if so, <laughs> <I hope not. laughs> will you go back to a more traditional style or will you stay with this kind of vignette that then gets transcribed and edited later? Like, or, But from your initial reaction just then, it sounds like you don't really – you're not interested in writing another book.
1: Well, one of the reasons why I wrote the book and why I would write another one is because And it goes back to how we began our conversation, you know, the Jesuits reinventing education again. So there are over 50 of those nativity middle schools. There are over 30 of those Cristo Rey high schools. So far, there's only one Jesuit Arupe College, and we're it. If this is a playbook for other Jesuit schools to say, huh, Katsouris did it. Loyola University did it. This is what they did. This is how they pulled this off. Maybe we can adapt it for our population, for our context, for our campus. Then it's worth it. So it might be worth doing a follow-up, you know, to come to believe. Yeah.
0: Well, at one point in the book, you mentioned that Arupe is part of a, I believe it's a 55-year trajectory, perhaps a 45-year trajectory of Jesuit education in in the United States. I'm not remembering exactly, but I believe it was about a half century of Mm -hmm. Jesuit educational traditions. So what are some of the highlights along that half century of development that our listeners should know? And then I want to follow up by asking how you see those highlights distilled into the work of Arupe College.
1: Yeah, well, as I said, you know, we're... The, the theme, and this comes from Father Pedro Arrupe, so you know, he was the superior general or the head honcho of the Jesuits in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and in the early 1970s, he was giving an address to alumni of Jesuit um, schools in Europe, and at that time, the schools were all male, and uh, it was a very courageous address because he said to them, and this is me, you know, I mean, his language was much more eloquent than the way I'm presenting this, but his address was, we're glad that you've been successful professionally. We're glad that you're generous to your alma maters. But unless you are men for others, unless you are using your talent and your training to benefit those on the margins, we, the Jesuits, we have failed you, because the whole point of a Jesuit education is to produce men for others. So that's really become the rallying cry for Jesuit education over the last several decades. I mean anyone who's graduated from a Jesuit high school, college, or university knows that the goal of a Jesuit education is to become a woman or man for and with others. So that inspired those folks in the Lower East Side of Manhattan to start the first nativity school to be with folks in the margins. And at that time, it were Puerto Ricans, and then it was Dominicans, and then it was Mexicans. So waves of immigrants from Latino backgrounds on the Lower East Side. Uh, then, you know, Cristo Rey in the 90s, here at Pilsen, Mexico. Uh, you know, but whoever it is in the margins in these different cities. So, you know, Arrupe College. About more than two-thirds of our students are Latino, The rest are African-American, and these folks are the underrepresented in Jesuit colleges and universities. They're underrepresented, underrepresented in private higher ed institutions, and so this is their opportunity to experience a liberal arts education. And it's also the opportunity of those of us engaged in the liberal
0: arts to benefit from these students. This is happening in the heart of Chicago. You mentioned that this is the heart of Chicago's merchant district. It's, the, it's a sort of a transportation center in the city. But I'm curious what it was that made, made Chicago seem like the right place to launch this experiment in education, the Arupe College.
1: A few things. I'd say Chicago is a can-do place, uh, it's a great place for um, incubators. I, went, I have a master's from Loyola Chicago from going on 30 years ago. I've spent most of my life working in New York City. But, you know, Chicago uh, was the lab for Christo Ray. Since returning to Chicago in 2014 to launch Bay College, I've been wowed by the number of not-for-profits here folks who are willing to roll up their sleeves and say, all right, well, what are we doing about those 11 or 12 or 13 zip codes that are food deserts and job deserts where the gun and gang violence, we can't just let this kind of go on and kick the can down the road. So I do think there's a spirit of innovation here in Chicago. Um, As I said, um, there was a spirit of innovation here at Loyola University, wanting to do something bold and different and make a Loyola University experience accessible for a population that financially could never afford it. And because their grades were good but not great, good was not good enough to get scholarships. So what happens to this student population? They take out a lot of loans, which can be, well, we know about this. I mean, our Countries buzzing about the student debt crisis. We don't want to contribute to that as Jesuit educators. Or students go to city colleges, community colleges, that don't have these kinds of supports, and they languish there, and they rack up a lot of debt, and they don't complete their degrees. They go into the military, which is terrific, but there ought to be more options. Uh, There ought to be more good options, and so this is another
0: good option for this population. You've talked about support for the students. Are there any things that you do for the faculty and the staff, your colleagues specifically, to help to make sure that they are supported, that they are cared for? Because I imagine that this, this is a job that has some stresses attached to it. Sure.
1: Just as our students are building community, our faculty and staff members build community, our faculty meet every Wednesday to support each other and also to talk about, all right, well, he's really struggling in my class. What's your perspective on him? Or I know that she was a superstar for you last semester, but something's happened. Do, does anyone have an insight here? We have a full-time social worker here. We have uh, social work interns from Loyal University School of Social Work so they add to the conversation as well. We make a lot of professional development available to our faculty and staff, so we provide a lot of training support for our faculty and staff to be successful with our students as they accompany our students.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Father Stephen Katsouros, Dean and Executive Director of the Arupe College of Loyola University, Chicago. He's author of the new book, Come to Believe, How the Jesuits are Reinventing Education Again. We'll be back in a moment. Hey there, everybody. If you've been following my exploits, you realize that I have a great interest in faith and science issues and that's why i'm happy to tell you about uh, some new friends that i've made the zygon center for religion and science at lutheran school of theology in chicago now why i'm excited about these folks is because every every semester in the fall and the spring they put on what they call an advanced discussion series or an advanced seminar and they take some topic that is important in the world of science and they put it through a lens where they bring both scientists and theologians and New Testament people and people that talk about the various aspects of religion to talk about that subject. And so this fall, they're going to be doing a series on cancer. I know, heavy subject, but um, they're going to look at cancer from all different angles. Some of those angles are going to be scientific, and they're going to bring in cutting-edge theologians and religious thinkers to also talk about it. I'm very excited about it. I hope that if you're in the Chicago area, you feel free to stop by. It's on Monday nights from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago down here in my neighborhood in Hyde Park. That's the Zygon Center for Religion and Science. You really should check them out. They are awesome. Now to find out more, go online to zygoncenter.org. That's Z-Y-G-O-N-Center.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Father Stephen Katsouros. He's Dean and Executive Director of the Arupe College at Loyola University, Chicago. He's also author of the new book, Come to Believe How the Jesuits Are Reinventing Education Again. What are some of the struggles that you are facing as an institution? Is there pushback from any sector of the city or the state? Do you have difficulty? You mentioned the map. And the Pell Grants, which some of your students are ineligible for, are there other ways where the state or the city could be doing more? Like what are some of the struggles and obstacles that you're facing as an institution right now?
1: You know, I would say that sometimes we enroll these great, great, great young women and men, and for different reasons, their grades were extremely inflated in high school, so they're not at all prepared for this level of rigor, and it's just—it's unfair. It's a setup, you know. They're struggling, and we're trying to meet them, but it's misleading. And it's better to kind of you know go into this with everyone's eyes wide open. So, and I mean this is not unique to Root Bay College, but you know we do see this from. And I, you know, again, I, I most of my. Life has been spent in administration on the secondary ed level. But, you know, that has been a a very challenging thing for us to work with students when they've been assessed on one level, and then we find out that they are in a very different place from what the assessment was all about. I think another is that, what can I say? These are students that are uncomfortable at times you know, anticipating being in majority white institutions. And even those majority white institutions that mean well, I'm doing air quotes here now for the radio audience, you know, I mean, I'm aware of it coming from myself, uh, the microaggressions that our students endure and that accumulate, that sometimes, you know, uh, we as a culture, oh, it, 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 it's a, a terrible Turn off for Black students, for Hispanic students. Oh, you know, you don't sound African American. Oh, you're so articulate. You know, um, I mean, I write about this in the book about um, someone talking about our students going on a service trip, and this is not someone who works at a group. But saying, oh, well, service trips. Now, you know, uh, when other students from other you know schools go on service trips, they have to grapple with. Issues of social justice, can your students handle that? And I said, well, you know, our students aren't cultural tourists. I mean, like, (laughs) I think they could, you know, be the instructors for the other participants about, like, not just visiting, you know, social injustice for a long weekend, but when that's all you've known. So there's that, just the built-in racism uh, and... Uh, the anti-immigration fear now that uh, a lot of our students are, are, are experiencing. So those are some of the pressures that, that uh, we, we experience with our students. I just sent a group to a summit um, on supporting African-American males in higher ed, and they came back with a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of ideas and a lot of affirmation for some of the things that we're already doing here. I brought in David Yeager at UT Austin, He's a researcher on growth mindset. So what does that mean? Basically, so many of our students, many first-gen students from low-income backgrounds will think, oh, God, I'm not a good student. Or what am I doing in Loyola? This is a competitive, selective institution. I don't belong here. And, you know, David contends that if you feel like you don't belong somewhere, you're you're not going to make it. He's worked a lot with our faculty and staff to say when the student bombs the first test, or the first paper comes back to the student, and it's a sea of red. And the student will look at this and say, huh, you know, all right, well, of course, this confirms that I don't belong here. And they see the low grade as permanent, personal, it's about who they are as people, and pervasive. This is just going to be everywhere in their academic, you know, lives. And so David has trained our faculty to say, all right, so it's a situation. It's not a great one. You failed. All right. But it's specifically one assignment or one test. So what was an obstacle that got in the way that prevented you from being more successful? Oh, you worked a lot of hours. Is there any way that you can talk to your boss about the before the next test? Oh, you skipped class. Hmm. You know, there might be a correlation there. Oh, uh, you didn't go to your professor's office hours, even though you didn't know what was going on. You don't have the books because you don't have the money. Why don't you, you know, let us know that? Instead of making this, you know, permanent, it's transient.
0: What is it that keeps you hopeful? What is it that keeps you buoyant in the midst of, of frustrations and the day-to-day? Uh, and this is pretty predictable. You've been listening to me for a while. It's the stories
1: of the students. I visited a class the other day where they were doing the allegory of the cave from Plato, and I was talking to the student afterwards, Carlos, how much he loves this class. And he and another s- student, Khalil, and another student, Esther, were just so engaged. Uh, and I thought, I mean, I have a master's in philosophy. It kind of comes with the turf when you're a Jesuit. And it just reawakened my own love for philosophy. And I would imagine for most of the students, for Carlos and Khalil and Esther, it was their first time grappling with Plato and their level of engagement. Or a board member. Uh, one of our students really needed a job with medical benefits. And so he provided a job for this young man. And I, um, we kind of cobbled together some clothes. Another board member said, okay, let's get him into a, you know, because this young man was wearing sweats all the time. So I said, that's not going to fly, you know. So it was very generative to help this guy. Okay, well, let's try this tie, and I'll look good with this blazer, and you look like a million bucks. So I talked to the student the other day. He loves this job. It's within walking distance of uh, school. He lives with his girlfriend. They have uh, a two-year-old, and he's providing for them. He's committed to them. He was working at a factory overnights before. He had no medical benefits. He was going to school during the day. He had no life. He said, Father, I can't tell you. You know, I come home from either school or work at 6 o'clock. I hit the books. I spend time with my girlfriend, with the baby. You know, I have my Sundays free. He said, I feel like a new person. Uh, You know, I'm not making this up. This is just a conversation I had earlier this week. I frequently say I have the best gig in higher education because I can walk out of my office and interact with students and you know, hear about their love for Shakespeare or statistics or what they're learning in poli-sci or a retreat they've just gone on or they're anticipating and you know,
0: they're the latest in terms of the story of Jesuit education. Well, Father Stephen Katsouros, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for the good work that you're doing at the Arupe College. Congratulations on the new book, and thank you for taking time to speak to us. Great. Thanks very much. We've been speaking today with Father Stephen Katsouros. He is the—he's a Jesuit priest, and he's the dean and executive director of the Arupe College of Loyola University, Chicago. He's also the author of a new book, Come to Believe, How the Jesuits are Reinventing Education Again. Father Katsouros was previously the president of the Loyola School in New York City. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park, here on the south side of Chicago. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC is responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keeja, our show was made possible in part through the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's patreo ncom Not Seen notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and to find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio.